Welcome to Anyone Can Play Guitar, a podcast where we try to learn every Radiohead song on guitar in order. I'm Nick Kendallsberger. And I'm Austin Diaz. How much did you pay for In Rainbows when it was released? (laughs) Crap. I knew this question was coming because I paid a dollar. (laughs) You paid a dollar? I paid a dollar. So In Rainbows is very uh, well known as the album that Radiohead released where they, you know, pay what you want model. And I would like to spend the least amount of time possible on this aspect of it because I don't really find it that interesting Um, So I thought we would knock it out here in the first few minutes. I think I paid $5. I felt real guilt. And I'm like, oh, I'll pay $5. Uh I I paid $1 because then I knew that I would buy some physical copy of it whenever it came out. I wasn't sure about putting my credit card on just a website. Right, yeah. No, this was way before this was very common. Right, and so I was like, uh, they'll eventually have to have a physical copy of this. It won't just be an MP3 that I'm downloading, so I'm just going to give a dollar. I did, I mean, I bought the CD and the vinyl version of this album, so, I mean, they got, they got my money. <laughs> okay, I don't know if I bought the CD version. I definitely have the vinyl. You know, people have talked about this being, like, revolutionary, this idea. I came across this one book that was saying the most significant statement in the report about the like downloading for free or not free or whatever was related to the pre-release orders of the disc box. So that's the big main, the big thing where it had the main album and B-sides plus a lot of photography and things. And it turned out the sales from the disc box alone were more profitable than the total money received from Hail to the Thief. Wow. What? We, you know, like the whole discussion about In Rainbows was whether this can change like how albums are released and, you know, instead of needing a label, you just, you know, can do them online. But actually they made the most money on like the big super deluxe edition of the album. Which is what everyone else does. I mean, how much money did like that special Midnight's Taylor Swift final thing go for? That's what they do. I mean, because everything's streaming now. So maybe this did actually was more revolutionary than we thought. <laughs> yeah. If this kick started the whole like, yeah, deluxe edition when the album is actually released. Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to really get into. It. I'm just now thinking about it, but there's just sort of there's like a separation between what the music is and then like what the physical object is, right? I mean, like they're mm-hmm. basically we can get all the music that we want. And so like when we buy something like a deluxe box edition, we're not really buying the music because we have access to that already. I didn't need to buy the vinyl of In Rainbows. I just did because I wanted to hold something that meant a lot to me. Okay. All right. Well, I think we did a good job with that. That's over with. Yeah. (laughs) That's it. That's all we're going to say about that. Okay. So we're past Hail to the Thief. How did it feel when you first put on In Rainbows after, after doing Hail to the Thief for so long? One thing I will say of doing this project is it really almost recreated the first time I listened to this album. I knew it was coming up, but I mean, ever since I first put on like the first track of the Drill EP, I haven't listened to this album at all. And we've been doing it long enough, and that's a long enough time not to listen to any songs on this album. It was almost like experiencing it for the first time. More than listening to it, sitting down and playing the guitar... After struggling through all the guitar parts on Hell of the Thief, this is just, it's such a rewarding experience, which I didn't expect 
I mean, I knew there was good guitar parts on this album, but I have to say that I had expected so much more from Hail to the Thief. I thought there were going to be these great riffs and like all these good, cool, cool chord changes, and it didn't really end up that way. The guitar parts on this album that I've learned so far are amazing, <laughs> and they're really distinctive um, yeah. and really weird, but they're so much fun to learn. And so it's been just an absolute treat. I feel like this is like we needed this album to keep going. Like, I don't think we would have kept going if it had felt like Hail to the Thief for another album. I think just not us. I think like fandom in general needed this album. Yeah, we haven't mentioned that in between what Tom York released The Eraser, I think in 2006, I think. What do you think of, did you listen to that one? I listened to it again you? at, at your suggestion. And I mean, it's okay. I remember at the time thinking, oh, okay, this feels less like oppressive than Hail to the Thief, mm-hmm. which I enjoyed. It definitely does not seem like a Radiohead album, but I mean, I don't ever really want to listen to it. <laughs> yeah, I, I put it on while I was having to do some grading this morning. It doesn't distract. It's pleasant. There's some really nice beats in it. But at one point I was great, you know, because I wasn't paying attention to the tracks or anything. I was just sort of letting it go through. I was having to like look through these journals and yeah. at one point, I sort of looked up and I said, oh, wow, this is a really great track. And then I clicked over to the Apple Music, and I have Apple Music always on that Infinity Play. Oh, okay. Um, you know, so when it, it doesn't repeat an album, it just like goes to what you it thinks you might like next. And it had just gone to Aphex Twin as the next track. <laughs> and I was like, ah, crap, yeah, well, this is just much better version of like yeah. what uh, Tommy York is trying to do. And for me, it was just like, a very perfect encapsulation of like Tom York really likes that kind of music. He's just not yeah. as good at it as somebody like Aphex Twin is. I mean, like the Aphex Twin track, it was just miles ahead in terms of like sort of depth and there weren't there wasn't any singing. And I mean, Tom, you know, I mean, like Tom York is very talented. He can do it, but like if you're going to compare him to people who only do that, you know, like it was only the Aphex Twin track that made me look up, and it's like, oh, no, well, this isn't the Eraser anymore. <laughs> I guess I'm glad that he did that because he was able to get some of those ideas out of his system to move on. Because, I mean, as we'll get into, you know, In Rainbows is a very lush album. It's almost the opposite of The Eraser. All right, I think we've done our our duty here. Let's get to the first track, okay? Yeah. The first track is 15 Step. First you reel me out and then you cut the string. Okay, I think we need to talk about the listening experience of this track. Unlike you, I didn't wait a day. That was like October 10th, I was having to go to work. And I lived in Providence, but I was working in Boston. And so I had a 45-minute drive to work. And so I got up at 4, downloaded the album, paid by $1, downloaded the album, put it on my iPod. And then you yeah. know, I was in my car, and that track starts. 
I had the eraser a bit in my head. I mean, I had listened to it. And I, that track starts, I'm like, oh, okay, we're just going in this direction. Like, it's, it's just it's just the eraser, and now the whole band is just going to come in. And the same thing, like, it's just going to be glitchy. Um, the vocals was like, okay. I was like, ah, but mm-hmm. it's, just, it's just okay. And then that guitar came in, and I remember I stopped. I was driving, and <laughs> I, was at, I stopped at a stop sign. I mean, but it's also 4 okay, in the morning, good. so there's nobody around. <laughs> and I just, like, waited. I mean, it was a literal stop me in my tracks moment that guitar line was just, it was like just this wave of relief. They're doing something that I don't understand yet. Because I mean, just that juxtaposition of that percussion line and then this guitar track that sounds sort of familiar, but not quite. It's sort of doing mm-hmm. what they've done before, but differently. And there's so much comfort in it. I don't know. It was like, it's like a warm blanket. And then, you know, his singing calms down after the guitar comes in. It's like the, it's like the guitar also soothes his voice. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Used to be all right. Right. He just like, he, he just happens? comes, you know, and then like the, the bass comes in with like, do, 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 you know, it's just, <laughs> and I mean, like that was one of the best drives to work ever. I mean, and they do that on purpose, right? I mean. Do you think that they thought or that they were aware that everyone was worried, especially after the eraser, that they were just going to be a semi-electronic band? I think they had to have known that the reception to Hail to the Thief wasn't as strong as their previous albums. And I think that a lot of it was the sort of of the electronic tracks on Hill to the Thief, which you talked about in detail. Yeah. <laughs> Playing with this time signature is, is just so fascinating because it should be even more weird than it is to go in 5-4 for the whole thing. But it's such a catchy rhythm that they did. They were able to take something that sounds a little weird and then, because it's at... It's not super fast. It's not a super fast song. It's at 92 beats per minute, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, like they slow it down enough that you can follow along. It, I, yeah, I was reading in Osborne where he says, in backbeats, our level of expectancy matches very closely the music we hear. So at a slower tempi, an odd number of beats per measure creates a minimal challenge to a listener only interested in tapping the beat. If we are, if all we are doing is tapping our foot to the primary pulse, there's no difference between 4-4 four, four and 5-4. And you think about that song has like the claps through the whole thing. Yeah. So it's sort of guiding our ear through it to kind of hold our hand to take us through this song. But it, I mean, doesn't, doesn't it also feel though like... I mean, it is sort of tumbling at the beginning, right? I mean, when it's just the drums and it's tumbling. And then I the first time I listened to it, I was so nervous that I didn't even realize when Phil's real drums come in. But like when you listen to it carefully, you realize that he's even sort of like kind of bringing it into line. And then the guitar part comes in. And it's like they've taken this sort of like jittery, wild beast of a time uh, signature and just sort of tamed it. They just like calmed it down and they don't change like what it is. Like they're not, it's not like completely domesticated. They just sort of like go with it. Like they can ride it and they can just, yeah, like just master it in a gentle way, you know, like not like wrestling it into shape. I don't know. There's so many metaphors that get mixed when you try and talk about this song. (laughs) What I found especially interesting was like, so the claps are very artificial sounding, right? Like it's a, like an eight, like a drum machine clap. It's not like a real clap. But it's kids. 
Well, the story is that they actually brought the kids in to do the claps and the kids couldn't get it. And so then they switched to having them yell at the end, which is amazing, by yeah. the way. But the clapping, that fake clapping sound is, was inspired by that song, the Fuck the Pain Away by the Peaches. Yeah. That blew, absolutely blew my mind. So if you don't remember that song, it's actually in like the, one of the club scenes in Lost in Translation. Ah, I was trying. I mean, like, that? yeah, I was, you know, because you sent me the song and I was like, I know this title. <laughs> I know Peaches. There's like, I was trying, I've been trying to situate this song in my life ever since you, I was like, why did I know this song? And why did I, I know every word to this song. <laughs> and like, I have snatches <laughs> of like where I was when I was listening to it, but I couldn't remember where yeah. I discovered it. And yeah, it's lost in translation. It is a very aggressive and, you know, vulgar song as well, but it is pretty awesome. Ah, I remember I listened to that song a lot. So, yeah, no, I mean, let's get to the kids. Cause like, I think this is hilarious that basically Radiohead brought in a group of like kindergartners or something to sing during a song. And all they do is go, Hey, <laughs> <laughs> and it works so well. Oh, I mean, it's, and you they, know, it's what I remembered of. I mean, I remember waiting for it, but I listened to it new this first time. I was like, okay, where are the, when are the kids yelling? I mean, because you just, yeah. you don't forget that part. When they, when they play it live and the kids aren't there, I'm just like, well, it's not as good because they don't have the kids there yelling. Yeah. They tried to recreate it with that performance with the USC marching band. Oh um, my gosh, that is unbelievable. No. Well, wait, how do you feel about it, actually? I like the rehearsal. There's like oh. on the uh, Citizen Insane, like there's the video of the rehearsal. I don't know if like also just the mixing on that video is better than like the mixing I found on the video for the actual performance. The drum line starts the percussion and I'm like, this is exactly what they should be doing. Like it sounds mm -hmm. fantastic. Yeah. You know, and then like Tom just starts singing over it. And I found that his singing in the rehearsal is much better than how he sings it at the performance. Um, and also Johnny plays much better. Yeah. I mean, but it's an amazing idea. So they did that for the 2009 Grammy Awards. They got the USC Trojan Marching Band. And so all of the beats are now played by this enormous drum section. And then they have horns. And I mean, I never would have thought that song could have been translated to a band, but they do a pretty incredible job. Yeah, I mean, they the drums especially nail it. I mean, when they start, yeah. it's just like, oh, this is what it should always have been. <laughs> 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 it reminds me of um okay are you a big fleetwood mac person uh i've been listening to some more since the one person passed away recent quite recently okay christy mcphee so after rumors they released tusk and like <laughs> one of the songs they released first was this wild song with a big marching band it's it's such a rock and roll cliche now the like because, you know, Fleetwood Mac essentially just like had all the drugs in the world and wasted so much money on this follow up that sold, you know, nothing compared to rumors. But that's a whole other discussion. But that's it just reminded me of that. I mean, I'm a diehard uh, diehard Fleetwood Mac fans love Tusk. No, isn't that one of like, oh, yeah, if no, you're a, sure. if you're a big Fleetwood Mac fan, like that's the one that you like is my understanding it's a, I mean, and it has some good songs on it for sure, but it was like, just, you know, it's a double album instead of a single album. And it, you know, rumor sold like a couple dozen million albums anyway. Okay. We're on a tangent. Yeah, that that's fun. I like tangents and digressions. Okay. <laughs>
So basically what I'm saying is 15-step at the Grammys is Radiohead's Tusk moment. That's what I was trying to I say. I mean, what do you think of the performance? I said what I thought about it. I mean, we, we agree that we'd love the concept, but... I, I think it's brilliant, and I did not watch the rehearsals, but I, uh, I will now to see if I like it even more. It just shows you how carefully they thought about all the different sections for it to still hold up when there's only two members of the band there working with a marching band. <laughs> the song was inspired by Peaches, which is this really, you know, crude song. And then inspiration goes that far, you know, they can end up with a marching band on stage at the Grammys. Right. That's pretty cool. So I love the circular nature of the of the riff, how you can just keep playing it forever, essentially. Yeah. Like that... And you can just keep going and then do the. Yeah. But then I also like when it goes the. Yeah. When it gets sort of quiet, that part is awesome. Is awesome too. So. No, I mean it's just like they, as as we'll discuss, they just hide exquisite riffs in the back end of almost all of these songs. Like yeah. you have these like wonderful guitar lines and then all of a sudden there's wonderful parts, bass end bass line of this song, like do 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 do. I mean that's it. Oh yeah. Phenomenal. I just I also just it learned that. I just play that. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, no, and this brings up another thing about in Rainbow. So last season I cut all my references to it out of the podcast because I didn't want to sound like an idiot, but I had talked about how maybe In Rainbows had a lot of through composed songs, and that's not true at all. But almost all of these songs are terminally climatic in that they introduce a different section at the very end of the song. And mm-hmm. we'll keep We'll see it in almost every song here. And so that's what happens at the end of this song. It's like they introduce a whole thing that just was never brought up. And so it just gets more exciting and more exciting as it goes along. The one person who seems sort of absent from this song is Ed. Like you're not mm-hmm. really sure what he's doing until when everything sort of like drops out and it the song ends with a like, Doo. I think that's Ed, right? Like all of a sudden, yeah, and and then he, once you, if you go back and listen to the song, you realize that that element has been in the song the whole time, and so you don't even realize what Ed's doing, and then yeah, they sort of like open it up or release it there at the end, and you realize like, oh, Ed's been like adding these layers to this song the entire time, basically. Though I do, yeah. watching the performance, I wondered, like, did do non-Radiohead fans like this? I didn't know how effective it was for non-Radiohead fans. I mean, because he's also just a strange performer, the way he dances around yeah. and stuff. And, I mean, I love it. Yeah, we're used to Tom just sort of bugging out, and that's just what happens. But, yeah, they you can see during the performance how they... Are de- the camera people are definitely like, okay, let's look over at the the marchers now. Yeah, what are and- they doing? <laughs> do you think do you think Johnny's gonna move? No, okay, he's just doing the same. No, nope. nope. look back to the symbol player. <laughs> back to the symbol player. <laughs> Where's the tuba guy? Yeah, he's going. Oh man. Okay, so this is gonna be a pretty awesome discussion of all these songs if we spent about a half an hour on. Uh, 15 step. <laughs> and I feel like we haven't even scratched it. I don't know. I, I, it's, I almost, 
I think I texted you at one point is that I don't feel up to the task of even talking about these songs. I mean, I can talk about yeah. like my emotional engagement and, you know, read the Osborne and sort of like look at theory and why this is working and why this is so comforting. And I couldn't really find a good explanation as to why it is other than it's just familiar, but not like they're not peddling, yeah. but they're all, they almost are. It's like the the line repeats itself and circles around, but the bass note changes, which is not what they always do. Often the mm-hmm. bass note has stayed the same and then they change the, you know, the higher end. But here they're changing both, but it still sounds like almost their old trick. Oh, I got one that we didn't talk about. Did you know 15 step has an auto harp in it? I did not. Like, it's a, so processed, it's almost impossible to know what it is, according to this one book. <laughs> <laughs> See, this song, we could just keep going. It's right. crazy. I mean, uh, I, right. I just have to mention that like my favorite line in the song is the et cetera, et cetera. It's just amazing. I don't know why that works on me so well. It was just like, et cetera, et cetera. All to, right, it's done. It's over. We have we to go. Okay, move we're on. moving on. We're only talking about three songs. <laughs> I knew songs. we could only do three songs. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. All right, it's time for Body Snatchers. thought this song was a joke song it starts with such a heavy distorted guitar riff i was so surprised (laughs) you know because 15 step happened and you're just it's a very surprising song and then all of a sudden a really distorted electric guitar happens and it's called body snatchers i really i always liked this song because it's it's really fast and it seems like almost a throwback to another era of them but breaking it down i'm just like this song is amazing this song oh my <laughs> god so i am good. i am obsessed i'm obsessed i'm addicted to playing this song but did, what did you think about when you did you know this song was this good before i did you not started i had no it? i had no idea this song was this good when it first started i was like oh this is like mixomatosis right because it's just like that yeah that loud fuzz and it's a sort of riff that they could have just done the whole song through it with that riff, right? And they sort mm-hmm. of done that. I mean, because you have the riff and then the chorus is just sort of the riff inverted. And then it goes away. Then it goes away. This riff- There's an acoustic guitar that comes and you're just like, what? what is going on now? Even I before I got into this song, the bridge has always just been like, I listened to this song over and over from the beginning just so I can get to the bridge when that like- Yeah. That, that opens up on the, what note is that? It's a high, it's a, on the 14th uh, fret- it's the same sort of trick that they do on Paranoid Android when they transition to like, da, 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 you know, but the uh, Johnny's high note rings over to kind of connect and sew together the sections together. And they do yeah. that here, but it's like brilliant. And then you're like, you're like, what is this song? And, and then this is, you know, like they have that, um, I have to play it. I mean, when I'm talking about when they hide riffs, it's like... Mm-hmm. 
Oh, at the yeah, the end they play it, and, and it's but it's lower, and it and it is amazing. You know, and like it's one of those riffs as I can't think about. Like I looked at the tab, but then it's it's like the first time where I have to feel the riff. I can't play it unless I'm not thinking about the notes and the order. I it took me a long time to get this right. When you just play it and you think about it, and then you play it with like the drums. It's it's like this the riff changes and I don't know how that happens. Like it sounds different. You realize when the drums come in that you have started like two beats in. Like you're not starting on the one, you're starting on the three. Yeah. For the riff. And so you have to go one, two, do, do, do. Yeah. To to get it right. Or it doesn't line up at all. You're seeing these little musical tricks in, in rainbows that just sort of show off their mastery of sort of musical concepts. And they're not showy. They're not like super complicated. They're just like a little off. It's not deceptively simple, this riff, but it like when you look at it, it doesn't look that hard. But then when you try and, and play it in this sort of it's so loose. There are Metallica riffs that look and in some ways are more complex than this, but because they're so regular, they're easier to learn. Uh, they might be faster or something, but once you get them down, you've got it. Whereas this, it's, you know... There's a lot of swing in this. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's, that's the right word. There's a lot of swing in this. Well, there are just so many great parts to this song. Like after the middle section, when it it gets really loud and then the, the guitars come in again. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and then it, it like, like the previous song is terminally climatic. It ends on a part that it has never happened before. Yeah. And so it just makes it even more unhinged as it goes along. I thought this was just a riff song. I knew the middle part with the guitar or the acoustic guitar was a little different in my head. It just went back to the same riff, but it does. It really changes completely. It's so interesting to me because that riff is so in Germany would say Prague pregnant. It makes an impression on you in the memory that the whole song is that riff, but it somehow almost makes you forget that middle section each time. It's not an epic, but it, when you break it down, you're like, my God. And it's a song I thought was a joke. And I'm just like, oh my God. Well, it is sort of a joke, right? I mean, he says in one interview that he was a bit inspired to let loose because of Wolf Mother, which made me go back and listen to them. I've forgotten about them. I had totally forgotten about them as well. And then um, I was like, oh, okay. I, I kind of see what's going I on. I mean, but yeah, that 2000, I listened to that album again too today. And that 2006 album is quite fantastic. But yeah, no, and he was also inspired by Victorian ghost stories, <laughs> which I didn't, I didn't really read too much. Of course. But then also, um, the Stepford Wives. Have you read this novel by Ira Levin? I've not read it. I mean, I know the, oh my God. I know the concept, but I've not read that. It's crazy. So I read this, um, actually read it yesterday because it's only like a hundred pages. Okay. And it's about this couple that moves to a, a Connecticut commuter town. And the wife is a very, she's a photographer, so she's an artist and like wants to have an equal relationship with her, with her husband. And, you know, she doesn't want to be a housewife and everything. And then everyone in this little town, like all the women just don't do anything except for clean their houses. And, but they do it like in full makeup and in dresses. And, you know, all the men are part of this society, this men's club that they go to like almost every night. And the women don't mind 
because they're, you know, doing their wifely duties and stuff. And so she says she's never going to do this. And she tries to move away. And then a doctor prescribes her like this pill that makes her do it like everyone else, like become a, a housewife that only wants to like wax the floors and, and do all of these things. And so it's a feminist horror story, I guess is what it was called. And it, I mean, it's an amazing book. So you sort of get that idea of like the someone snatching your personality away from you. But then there's also the book, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's wild because it's a little different. It's this families in California will come to the doctor and say like this cousin or something that I know is is not the same something's wrong with them. And the doctor will be like, what, what are you saying? Like they look the same and they sound the same. And they're like, but it's not them. So this idea that you can be the same person and say the same things and have the same memories, but then not be the same person. And it turns out like these doubles are growing in people's basements and they take over the body of, of these people. It's it's pretty crazy. It sounds <laughs> and scary. it was made into a yeah, it was made into this uh, B movie in nineteen fifty-six. It's almost an anti like communism red scare kind of thing hmm. about like it has achieved iconic status in critical, academic, and conventional analysis for its communication of Cold War anxieties regarding community infiltration, atomic warfare, and hyperconformity. But so this idea of the conformity is is sort of the same thing between the two. But like one is like a communist conformity, the other one is a capitalism capitalist conformity. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was kind of interesting huh. that it could be on both. All right. What do you have anything else to say about body snatchers no, before we? It's almost it's almost been half an hour again. So <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I know. It's uh, it's worth it though. This is an amazing song. Yeah, which I okay. was not expecting. I thought like ah, fifteen steps, and then the next song. But man, this I've become obsessed. It really, really surprised me. I was kind of shocked because I knew yeah. I would like it, but I love this song now. Mm -hmm. Now we're moving on to nude. So I, I mean, uh, we watched Lost in Translation a lot, and I think we also watched High Fidelity quite a bit. And I haven't watched it since then. I don't know how it holds up, but I do remember where he talks about making a mixtape where you know, we got to start strong, and then you got to take it up a notch, take it up a notch, and then you know, with the third track, like cool it down, but then hit it, also hit it out at the park of this at the same time. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is that perfectly like this is the embodiment of that advice i don't know if they took it we're taking it from john cusack in high fidelity <laughs> the re-listening of this album 
15 steps is amazing. Body snatchers, especially with that bridge, you know, where, where are they going? And then nude comes on. Do you have that Tom harmonizing with himself? Then the baseline comes in. I had just forgotten. It was, it's so good. It might be one of their most beautiful recordings of their career. Yeah. It starts off in another world. It really luxuriates in just Tom's incredible vocal. What I don't understand is how this song didn't have that bass line from the beginning. Because it didn't, right? I mean, uh, no. that excerpt, is it, is it from Meeting People's Easy, this video that we watched? Yeah, so this is a song that is, it's the climax of the Meeting People is Easy documentary. Right. Is them playing this song, and basically the point is, they haven't even released this yet, and this is already amazing. You know, this band is incredible. This is what you have to look out for. Mm-hmm. And then they don't release it. <laughs> right. And you're like, I just remember thinking like, this is my new favorite Radiohead song. I remember that too. When yeah. I was just like, how is this not perfect? And it, you listen to that performance and you're like, man, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Tom's on the Fender Rhodes piano thing and Johnny's on a Hammond organ. You know, and it's about that drum beat. And then the bass is not featured very prominently at all. So the song kind of climaxes with Ed coming in with like a really loud, distorted guitar. And it sounds so good. It's one of those things where you're just like, it's really loud and distorted. And I obviously didn't release it because like, it's kind of a cliche to do that, like really loud step on the pedal and fuzz it out. But I was just like, man, this is one of my favorite songs. Every year it wasn't released. It gained even more sort of mythos behind it. And I was a little scared when I saw it featured on the album. I'm like, they're going to mess with it too much. Yeah. They're going to like remove the electric guitar because it's not cool. And they're going to. Which they did. Which they did. (laughs) But then they made it better. Yeah. And they made it better by like going down to the base of the song. It's incredible. Godrich has a quote where he says that Colin just came up with the new bass line and it completely changed the song. It's like basically he started playing that bass line and they just built the rest of the song around it, back around it. It's yeah. like they tore it down and then built it back up around that bass. I mean, because that, that performance at the end of Meeting People's Easy is amazing. I remember salivating for when that song was going to come out. Finally, but it didn't yeah. come out on Kid A. It wasn't on Amnesiac. It was, thank God, not on Hail to the Thief, because who knows what they would have done with it <laughs> in that era. Yeah. And then it then it comes out and it like starts. And it's like I don't remember this is how it sounded. And then the I mean, and then the bass line comes in. And you're like, uh, this was not what it was. This is not what it was. <laughs> yeah, what is this? <laughs> when you listen to the old recording, one, he missed the bass line, and two, like as as much as I like that distorted climax with ed at the end it sounds so okay computer era oh yeah for sure for sure instead of like transferring that part to another instrument they transfer you know now it's tom singing it which just makes it that's what's better you know like it's one of those things that after you hear him do it you're like that's what it always should have been but that's so weird that you can sit on a song. It's that thing of like, I can't figure out what, what happened on Hail to the Thief. Like, we're three songs in, and I love all three of these songs. Yeah. And I love this song more than any song on, on Hail to the Thief. Yeah. And, you know, this is a top 10 song for me. Oh, for sure. Uh, without no, no, a no. doubt. 
We need to do that at some Ma- point. We do, yeah. Maybe top five, but I've said a lot of top five so far. So. <laughs> I'm on like my 15th <laughs> top five. <laughs> I'm on my like 15th top five, so we got to like cool it off a bit. But it might, it might actually be in the top five. Well, it's just this, a testament to that art rarely, if ever, emerges fully formed. Mm. There's a persistent myth, I think, that, you know, really great art is sort of like, emerges and comes out but i mean it is no it is like something that you have to hammer and sweat about and like despair over and i don't know anything that i really like where it's just that they've spit it out i mean like they are any artist has spit it out i mean they talked about that pyramid song sort of came out fully formed but we also discussed that it didn't right i mean there's so many tricks in that song that they've... That took them years to learn right. before they were able to, like, yeah. I mean, because there's such a fine line, I think, and when when created any sort of art between putting an effort and really working on it and the artwork becoming too precious because mm-hmm. you've worked on it so much. And I think that this works so well because by stripping it down, redoing the baseline... They're like letting go of the preciousness of this song that they've had since 1997. At least some almost fully formed in 1997. And then like, nope, this is not it. And so there's something that even though there's so much work in it, that they did not hold on to what they had already accomplished. They killed their darlings. Yeah, there you go. Okay, we, we got to talk about the title or the title. So when I first heard about this song. I thought it was called Big Ideas because the the verse begins, don't get any big ideas. They're not going to (laughs) happen. Which is a pretty hilarious thing to say. Uh, I love all of the words on this song. Like, you'll go to hell for what your dirty mind is thinking. Like, and he sings it so beautifully. Um, I love that now that you found it, it's gone. Yeah. (laughs) It's just like, (laughs) it's so funny. I mean, it's not funny. It's really depressing. It's because it's sort of paradoxical in that it sounds almost like a seduction song, right? Like, it sounds like, you know, this is a sexy time song, like a let's get it on or something. And he's talking about uh, despair. Yeah, it's <laughs> I true. mean, because yeah. it's, I mean, it's a sexy song. To, uh, Johnny's part in the second verse. It's doing the weirdest thing and that it's essentially just a chord but you're plucking two strings at a time. Yeah. But then when you get to the sort of chorus, it's, you're sort of muting, you're sort of plucking the muted strings. Right. For each part. called it's like yeah like i always thought it was shadow picking i think that's just a term that my guitar teacher came up with once i love how it sounds yeah it sounds incredible i mean once again like 15 step the it's such a beautifully recorded guitar you know in in hail to the thief johnny had a lot of semi-interesting guitar lines that were sort of classical in the way that they were styled and, but I like these a lot more. <laughs> these are so much better. I mean, because he's not like, I don't know, he's not noodling around like on Sail of the Moon. It's just, it sounds nice, but he's sort of noodling, I would say. There's just something about how that... 
It has a terminus. It's like when a, you know that an author is writing a book and they know exactly where it's going. And so they can they can dig digress and like hit these other notes, but you don't care because you know that they know. Whereas like sometimes you can read a book and there's digressions and you're thinking, oh, I don't think the author know or knew at this point what where the book was going. Yeah, I, I forgot to mention this quote when we were talking about 15 step, but I think the guitar tone is the same. So on the James Donnie Radiohead book, the stories behind every song. He talks about the guitar in 15 step instantly projecting the combination of immediacy, playfulness, sensuality, and accessible complexity that was the signature sound of the album. This song does too. Like it has that weird sensuality <laughs> to a Radiohead album, which I think that's why people think of In Rainbows being less of a downer than it actually is. Like lyrically, the, the album is pretty dark. Nude is a pretty dark song. Body Snatchers is a very dark song. 15 Step is a dark song. It's an incredibly <laughs> in dark head, song. If you listen to the lyrics, you know, we could be talking about a gallows and we don't have to be talking about a gallows for it to still be, you know, how come I end up where I started? <laughs> you know? Yeah. My God, the ending to Nude is just about one of the most gorgeous things they ever put to tape. It might be the most gorgeous thing they ever put to tape. Um, I was obsessed with this song for 10 years before it was released, too. And so to have that connection to it and then to get this version, I just I couldn't I couldn't be happier. No, it's been 30 minutes. I know. I'm going to have to cut so much of this out. <laughs> the Hail to the Thief episodes were shorter because I kept cutting stuff because I'm like, I don't care about this song at all. <laughs> yeah, well, we also just like, it's like we gave up on the discussion. There was something so tiring about trying to talk about a lot of those songs. It, yeah, I was like, I wasn't that interested in them. Right. And then, yeah, this is just too, it's too, there's too much. Like, I read a whole book yesterday and we talked about that for like 10 seconds. <laughs> Uh, about the Stepford Wives. It was great. Everyone should read that book. It's, it's you know, terrifying. All yeah. right, you got anything else to say about uh, Nude? I think I don't, other than I just won't play it all the time. And this is a very popular song also for people. No, I really think that this is one of the best, I mean, as far as, like, Tom is concerned, his voice has never sounded as as good as it does here. It is more acrobatic, maybe, early on, yeah. where he has the sort of loud yells and the sort of showier parts. I think he's gotten over himself a bit. He had that whole thing during the Kid A era where he didn't like how beautiful his voice was. It started already with OK Computer where he was trying to sing every song differently. Like he admitted that he tried to sound different on every song and then OK Computer he's trying to get away with, get away from how beautiful his voice is. And then it's almost like on Hail to the Thief, he was often trying to destroy it almost to like just sort of obliterate anything that we associated with his vocals. And here he's just like, it's not that it's always, it's not a return. It's just, he doesn't, it's like he just said, I'm just going to sing this. I'm not going to like try and do something special or try and sound different or try and get away from how beautiful my voice is or something. I'm just going to sing it because I like singing. That's what I do. He, ex there's some acceptance here of like what he can do. But yeah, I don't, maybe I don't know if he could have done as something as subtle as nude, where no. he's not screaming. It's so it's so restrained and yeah. gorgeous. Is this my favorite song in the album? We'll find out. 
basket that's up there. <laughs> we, I can't have we've, we've I talked, can't have any more in the top ten. Talked about three songs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, don't forget that like videotape is coming. <laughs> I know it's coming. <laughs> the next song is Weird Fishes. <laughs> so next week we're gonna do Weird Fishes. All I need, Fost Arp, and Reckoner. Yeah. Try and keep it under two hours. <laughs> well, I mean, you'll edit this down to not, I will edit to this not two down. hours, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was fun. That was pretty fun. All the songs on the Anyone Can Play Guitar podcast are by Radiohead and performed by Nick Kendallsberger and Austin Diaz. 